Well, good morning, everyone. My name is uh, Jesse, if we've not met yet. It's good to see uh, all of you here. Can I, can I just say a couple of things I'm super excited about, if you don't mind? Uh, one is last week we celebrated four baptisms, guys. That was so much fun. I loved it. Uh, it, was, it was good to see uh, folks just... You know, uh, baptism doesn't, doesn't change people. It's, it's celebrating that God has already changed them. And so that's, that's what we celebrated last week. And the second thing, now, now brace yourself, because you're all going to have to act on your best behavior, is that we today have our incoming sixth graders having promoted out of children's ministry into this room. Give our sixth graders a round of applause. Yes, yes. How exciting. Uh, I can call all the sixth graders up to preach the message. You guys want to do that? Can I get some? No, no. Uh, parents, uh, this is where you have to show that you were actually being mature the whole time. Uh, while they were back there and you were not on your best behavior today, you will be on your best behavior. We're going to finish our study through James. We're, we're in the middle of this series called Religious. And so if you, if you want to follow along in your Bible, I'm going to be in James chapter 5. And I, I just want to ask a question of you. Um, who here uh, really loves it when your boss puts you in a position that you didn't quite feel prepared for? In fact, in fact, if you, if you, uh, you were just kind of analyzing it all the way through, you were put in a position that you were almost guaranteed to fail at, uh, and you feel like if I just had a little bit more preparation, anybody else like that's your bread and butter? You love that? You love the adrenaline rush? I'm going to show nobody. I've never met the person who loves being put in a position where they weren't prepared for. Um, I, I, uh, when I was a social worker, I worked for two different foster agencies, and uh, there was a moment where I switched, and so I'm, I'm working for a second foster agency, and, and I am responsible for the recruitment and taking care of all the foster families in our, in our team, okay? And that's my job, but I don't know them yet. And about a week after this transfer, we're having an award ceremony, and we're going to give the Foster Parent of the Year Award to one of the foster families. And I was like, that's great. That sounds like a lot of fun. I think that that's a, a good time. And uh, the event was great. There was a meal. Uh, there, were, there was a game, I think, and uh, they were like, uh, it's, it's time for the, the ceremony. It's time for the giving away the award. And I said, okay, well, who's going to do that? Well, you are. That's your job. It's like, oh, I don't know them yet. I don't know who these people are yet. And, and so I, uh, I'm not terribly afraid of public speaking. Uh, I, I do a lot of that. It's just the idea of getting up to talk about people I don't know yet. And so my speech went something like, uh, hey, we're awarding this uh, award, foster parent of the year to Mrs. Smith, uh, because she's a great foster parent. Not to say that you're not great foster parents too, you're a great foster but you guys, they're not better than, and, and by the time I was finished with the speech, I have put my foot in every side of my mouth all the way through. And I just, I would have loved, uh, and maybe you can agree, I would have loved to just have a, had a moment to prepare, a moment to 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 know uh, this is what I'm getting into. When, when we read James, what we read is someone who's wanting us to be prepared for everything life throws at us. And a lot of times we will walk into a situation, am I right? We'll walk into a situation that life kind of hit us and it blindsided us. We were not expecting that one. Uh, and, and we just kind of take a step back. James would say like, okay, well, these are the things that we need to focus on and kind of bring us back and realign ourselves. And so what, what we're doing as we go through this series, Religious, and, and we're landing the plane in some really, I think, some powerful places, I think James is going to teach us some things, um, is that we're wanting, as a church, not to be prepared for church. You were prepared for church just by the fact that you're breathing and you walked in. Because just like that song said, come just as you are. You came just as you are, but hopefully you came just as you are. But when you leave here, you're a little bit more equipped for something that life might throw at you, a trial or uh, a problem. That's a, a big uh, theme in James. So let's, let's, 
Let's look at this together. We're using a definition of religion uh, that I think is, is helpful. Uh, we want to be careful because a lot of the times if I ask the question, are you religious, half of us are like, yes, I'm very religious. And the other half of us is like, ooh, religion's bad. Um, I don't know why I went Valley Girl when I said that, but <laughs> <laughs> didn't even know I had Valley Girl in me, but there, there you go. Uh, and, and so let's, let's just have a good working definition of religion if, if we can. Religion, the two definitions we're working on is this. It's a particular system of faith and worship. James James has prescribed a particular way that when you church or when you gather and when you focus on things, when you, when you deal with your God, that you deal with him on a real term so that so it's a particular system. It's not, you don't, you don't make it up, right? Uh, I like fishing, but it's not church when I'm in the boat. You, we can pretend it is, we can, we, but there's something about gathering together, uh, submitting ourselves, like as a family, we're submitting to the rest of you, and the rest of you are submitting to us as a family, and we're, we're growing. The, the Bible uses terms like iron sharpening iron. It's a particular system of faith and worship, and, and we should be willing to uh, find the particular system of faith and worship that God seems to suggest is going to equip us for some of the things that life throws at us. The second definition that we've been working on is that it's a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. And, w- and what this admits to us, and, and we, we've already kind of identified this in ourselves, is that we're an extremely religious culture. We're gonna worship something. Um, but if we, don't, if we don't choose it, it kind of chooses us. Every commercial you watch on TV is telling you, worship my product, worship my brand, worship this football team. And, you know, we're going into football season, so we have to be careful that our worship factories are pointed in the right direction. What, what we're going to find is that life, whether you like it or not, something will hit you, uh, and it'll, it'll slap you, just you didn't expect it, and it will reveal to us um, things that were extremely important, the highest importance at that time. And the wise ones among us, uh, who have also walked into those same situations, the wise ones among us say, you know what? I thought that was more important than it was, but I think these other things are the things that I should be focusing on. Those of us who l- tend to walk into the same problem over and over again cyclically are the ones who are like, oh, I, I, I've been paying attention to the wrong thing, and then forget and they come, oh, I should, I've been paying attention to the wrong thing. And so our, our definition of religion uh, is, is this. It's a particular system of faith and worship, and it's a pursuit or interest to something that is supremely important to us. And what I'm going to argue, and what we've been arguing through James, is um, your, your relationship with the one whom you call Savior should be the supremely important pursuit of your life. It will flavor and change how you handle hard times, it will flavor and change how you, how you manage the workplace. It will flavor and change how you, how you uh, work with your spouse to overcome conflict or argument. It will, it, will change, it will change how your relationship with your parents are, sixth graders. That if, you're, if your pursuit, your primary goal in life is to have a right and healthy working relationship with your Savior, uh, he, he, he transforms all of these other elements as well. So over the last few weeks, I think, uh, what are we on? Week, week six now? So over the last five weeks, we've had kind of some themes that came up. And I, in closing out, James, I just want to maybe drive through and see some of our old, old stops along the way, some of the things that we've seen through James. If you can bring that first one up, please, Dave. Uh, the, the first one is this, is that the Christian religion, the religion that James is suggesting, uh, it should fortify us for outer and inner trials, 
It, it should be something that as we practice this, we're better at handling when someone's a jerk to us, and we should be better at handling when our own inner turmoil is tempting us and causing us to, 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 to uh, make decisions that we didn't want. Our, our religion should be fortifying us like vitamins fortify us so that we're better able to handle outer and inner trials. The second is this, is that the Christian religion should drive us to action. Now, now, I I grew up, I I know I've been in church uh, a period of time, that there were seasons where the religion that I was taught was a religion of thinking and a religion of, let's make sure we understand Greek and Hebrew really well. Uh, let's, 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 you know, uh, parse a verb for fun. Uh, that, that, was, that was cool, but, but the religion that James is suggesting should drive us to show up when people are hurting. It should drive us to look in the mirror every now and then and be like, is there anything in my heart that I'm not super proud of? Can I turn that over to Jesus right now and just trust that there's more grace with Jesus than, than I've even experienced so far? It, it should drive us to when, when our brother is hurting, we, we are, we, maybe we can't fix it. If we can fix it, my goodness, our, our religion should be, I have a shirt, here's a shirt. You're cold, you're hungry, I have food, here's some food. But I have cancer, I can't fix that. Well, I'm going to join you in your affliction because that's what we do. That's what Christian people do. So the Christian religion should drive us to action. The Christian religion should cause us to see the dignity of other people around us, even if they're a different religion than us even if they smell different than us, even if they have different money in their wallet than you have. Um, what, what we see in James is he really warns them a lot about, like, let's not put people too low under us and treat them differently and raise people up higher than they should be and treat them differently. He said, don't you know that those who are poor in faith show us the riches of God's grace? I mean, it, this is the truest thing I've been able to see. So I've been, uh, you know, uh, I've been in and around Carpenter's Way for years now, but as far as this role, this position, I'm kind of new. I still have the new car smell on, on being pastor. Um, but being able to just hear the stories of, of, hey, can you pray for this? Can you pray for my family balance? Can you show up for this? To, to hear and see that, I'm seeing so much more about what God has been doing in the fabric of Carpenter's Way than I ever saw before. And if we're not careful, we, we tend, and this is a natural human tendency, a natural human tendency is to take anybody who thinks different than us, votes different than us, has different values than us, whatever, and kind of put them in a different category. And if we're not careful, we end up surrounding ourselves with people who look like us, think like us, and are praying like us, and we miss out everything on what the Lord is doing here in this bucket. And so James says, Hey, let's work on that. If you see a problem with that, turn that over to the Lord. But we should be seeing dignity in everyone. And when we see the dignity, we get to celebrate more of what the Lord is doing. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not even preaching a sermon yet. I'm just recapping where we've been. Uh, the, the next thing, the next week we, we looked at is that the Christian religion should uh, cause us to speak less, coming from the public speaker who's talking a lot in the room, and listen more. We should, we should be slow to speak. James says, and quick to hear. We should, we should be cl- slow to jump up with our own defense and quick to listen to why, why do I keep running into that problem over and over again. We should be slow to correct someone who voted differently than us and quick to just listen and say, yeah, I can see why that would be more important because of your circumstances and how you, I, I, can, I can understand that. James, James says that uh, right religion uh, should be a quieter Christianity. And I think, I think that is a timely message right now 
Because whenever I turn on my social media, whenever I go listen to some other preachers, I'm not naming names or anything, I'm listening to people who are listening less and just yelling and talking about things and giving their opinion on things. Um, there is a time to speak. It, it is not do not speak and only listen. It is slow to speak. We, should, we would be wise if we would, we would just pause and just listen for a while and then, and then speak. The Christian religion, James says, should cause us, and this was last week's, to address our conflicts, not water them down, not wish they didn't happen, but conflicts happen. James says, he's writing to a group of people that they are already Christians. He doesn't expect us to be read in front of like some Christians, some not Christians, some people who love Jesus, some people who hate Jesus. He's writing it to a group of people who they had to move and start a church somewhere else. And he says, when conflict happens, it's not if, it's because where, where anybody gets together, there's like a reason to like, stop agitating me. You frustrate me. You, I'm tired of listening. And, and there's, a, there's a sense, I think, a lot of Christians want to, uh, I don't know, maintain peace. And they maintain peace by not addressing conflict. They're just like, you know what, I'm going to keep my mouth shut and, and we're just, we're going to take a step back. But, but James teaches us that we should address conflicts. And when, when we in that conflict realize that there's something in it we should own, and which tends to always be the case, then we should lean on God's grace in humility. James taught us last week, he said that that God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud, but he raises up the humble. That that he he has kind of a, a favorite standard of being. Our heart shouldn't be, I'm always right. Our heart should be, I'm willing to listen, and uh, I'm gonna trust God with the rest. And James, I'm telling you guys, uh, I, uh, I'm getting a lot out of James. I'm digging it. It's been a good book. I mean, yeah, I think, I think God knew that when he wrote it. I'm just agreeing with him, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read uh, James 5, and we're going to finish our series. And I, I want to uh, say that he's going to draw two big categories at the very beginning. Uh, so I'm going I'm to read through it, and then I'm, I'm going to try to uh, I- explain what, what's happening. Start reading with me in verse one, please. It says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. So can we just stop and just say that that James didn't have a problem being unnice at times. Weep and mourn for the miseries that are coming upon you. Let Let me keep reading, then I'll explain to you what's happening. He says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. This is like one of those feel-good stories that you read at bedtime, you know? It says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of your laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by, what? By fraud. Those are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So in James uh, uh, story so far. He's, he's talking to uh, the rich people who have by fraud held back money from the harvesters. And the harvesters in their being defrauded, in their being wronged, have been praying, have been asking God, like, hey, can you help us out? And this has to be the scariest thing. If you're that rich person in that church that he's writing to, uh, when it says that the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, if you have any sense of what God is capable of, you just perk up a little bit and you're like, okay, I'm paying attention right now. It says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. Man, that is not a good guy. 
says that the righteous person, he says, he does not resist you. I'm going to pause before we go to the second category. And let's remember who he's writing to. Uh, James is writing to Christians, all Christians, uh, and he's writing them to those who have dispersed. And so remember last week, we we remember this, but uh, the church was all in Jerusalem. Something happened and they all scattered. Now they, they have to move into a new area. And in the chaos, apparently, if we infer this from James, in the chaos of the change in rules and the change in climate and the change in securities and the change in what people know, in all of that chaos, there's a group of people who use the chaos to their advantage and took advantage of other people who needed the work. And, and they made a profit during a time where everybody else seems to be suffering. So we're, we're like in a, uh, you know, 18 months now or more into our uh, COVID has been released on the world and we've been dealing with. And uh, I don't know if you guys followed along, but a, a while back, a few months ago, GameStop had a thing. Do you guys know the story of GameStop? I don't know if you know this. It's all COVID related. It's fascinating to me. Uh, GameStop is a brick and mortar building. I think they have some online stuff now, but it's a brick and mortar building that you go in and you play a video game, you try it out, you buy it, maybe get like a little comic book with it and, you know, a thing. And it's, it's a brick and mortar store. And just like every other brick and mortar store, like, you know, Barnes and Noble and other bookstores, they, they're failing, they're losing money. And so about, I don't know, six, eight months ago, uh, some super smart people saw that GameStop was going under. And there's a way in the stock market that you can short a sale or, you know, bet the shorts or something short. I don't know. There's a word short in it. And you basically make money on the fact that they are going to lose money. So, so the, the, the people who are analyzing this, they see GameStop and they're like, ha ha, they're about to go bankrupt. Let's make some money off of it. And so they did their thing. They, they, they betted on the short or bought the stock or whatever they did. And, and then they sit back and they wait because they have to wait like two or three months for this thing to go down. This is not a new idea. They do this all the time, apparently. This has been around since the beginning of the stock market. You can bet on somebody else failing and having a hard time and you can make a profit off of it. But... Some teenagers, listen up teenagers, you can change the world, you ready? Some teenagers heard about it, and they're like, uh-uh, you're not getting rid of my GameStop, we're going to stop that right here, right now. So they got on the internet, got on Reddit and some other places and said, hey, they're expecting GameStop to go bankrupt, we can mess them up right now by just buying GameStop stock. And so all these like 17, 18, 19 year olds started downloading an app, buying GameStop stock, and it had a meteoric rise. I mean, unprecedented. They shut down the stock market because they're like, is somebody breaking the system right now? It turned everything on its head. And so now you have all the hedge fund billionaires who were trying to bet on the bankruptcy of GameStop. Now they're losing money. And then I'm, I'm at a house like three months ago, and I'm talking to this guy. He's probably 19 years old. He's like, hey, have you heard about the GameStop thing? I was like, yeah, I heard some people are making money on it. He goes, <laughs> I made $600 today. And he showed it to me. I'm like, what? $600 in a day just because he bought GameStop stock. That's amazing to me. I love, I love that story. And in the midst of all of this, there was a guy who gets on the news, and he's explaining everything that I can't explain, the, the shorting of the stocks and everything. And uh, he's a pastor somewhere. And, and he says, he says, you know, scripture talks about people who try to take advantage of folks on their downhill side. And I think that this is just justice. And he's like, yay, I'm rich now. Uh, but but he, he quoted scripture on like CNN business or something like that, because you shouldn't take advantage of people on their downhill slide. You should, you should support them. Now, I'm not going to make a, like a capitalist, like maybe the business shouldn't be around. Maybe it's being propped up, you know, uh, you know uh, artificially at this point. But I love the story. I love, I love what it looks like. And James is writing to this group of people who are scared and just trying to figure out how to live life in their new 
in their new land, in their new system, with the new rules that are in place. And there's a small group of them who are taking advantage of that system and making a profit. And he shakes his finger at them pretty hard. And he says, woe to you, the miseries that are coming to you. You have no idea what God is going to do whenever he, he's listening. Those people that you've defrauded, he says, he, says, he says they're praying to God and he has heard their prayers. He is coming. Pay attention. That's what he says to the rich. Let's talk about the rest of us. Starting in verse 7, he says, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, here's where James and I differ. And I'm saying that knowing that James is right and I'm wrong. Okay, let me be clear. I'm not not correcting God's word here. But but, uh, if I'm defrauded, somebody comes up against me, I have a tendency to want to get what's mine. I have a tendency to want to speak up. I have a tendency to not be wronged in any way. My wife is smiling at me because apparently I'm, I'm a little OCD about getting back to people. I will call helplines. I will, I, will, I will become a lawyer for a day. I will study everything because if you wrong me, uh, we're, going to, we're going to set that straight. And what, what James has just said is, hey, rich people, uh, warning to you who are defrauding everybody. But let me talk to the rest of us for a second. Therefore, he says in verse 7, because of all these other things, because God is listening, he says, be patient. And what we're going to find is that James is going to teach the better Christian value is not to go out and right every wrong, especially wrongs that happen against you. The better Christian value is to patiently wait for the Lord to avenge you. And that is, that is frustratingly difficult. Especially right now. I mean, everybody is wrong, right? You're the only right one in the room. I can, you just open up your Facebook. You know that that's true. You're the only right one in the room. And, and it's so uh, frustrating and delaying to try to be patient. Why, James? Okay, well, let's, let's see what he says after this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, I'm no farmer. <laughs> I'm no farmer, but uh, I know that like, I like a watermelon that has a yellow spot on the bottom because it's set there on the vine a little bit longer. It tastes better. It's a better watermelon. I don't know if you know that secret. Watermelon season comes up. Look for the yellow spot on the bottom. It's set out there for the early and the late rains because it's sweeter. It's better. And he says, look, the farmer sits and he waits. He waits for the, the first rain and the latter rain. God has come and he's revealed to us Jesus, our Savior, in the early rain. But he's coming again and he's going to right wrongs. He's not going to let injustice stand. And he's saying, Christian, it's better for you to be patient and let God handle his own stuff. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your heart. here's Here's what James says to me. Hey, Jesse, life is going to do some stuff. And uh, there's going to be trials of many kinds. Be steadfast, but establish your heart. Hey, Jesse, you're going to have conflicts, but establish your heart now before the conflict. Hey, Jesse, uh, there's going to be times where you really want to open your mouth and say something, but establish your heart now and prepare now for the season when that would happen. Everything about James, the entire book, could probably be summed up in that one verse. I had to underline it. It's so good. He says, be patient establish your hearts. 
Here's, here's what James wants for us at Carpenter's Way, right here in this room. That when we gather together, we do some work to establish our hearts. Maybe, maybe we make it a point, today I'm going to focus on the Lord. Today I'm going to sing, I'm going to, I'm going to pay attention to the words as, as the songs are being sang. Today I'm going to make it a point to find somebody and pray for them. Today I'm going to make, whatever James has taught us, or whatever you feel like the Lord is teaching you in, in your own studies, at some point, we have to make choices to establish our heart with that. To establish it is to, is to put it into the foundation, to, to put it at the place where everything else is going to be built. Establish your heart, Christians. And he's talking to the Christians who have been wronged by the rich people. Yeah, 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 you've been wrong. But establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He, he says, those of us who have a long-distance vision that our struggles aren't just here now, but the Lord comes and the Lord is the Savior. There's a future for the church when the Lord comes and makes all things right. He's at hand. Establish your hearts now. Verse 9 says, do not grumble against one another. He's talking to the church. We should not be grumbling against each other in this room. You guys know what grumbling sounds like? It's disgusting. If you have parent, if you have kids, if you're a parent, you know what it sounds like. If you are a kid, you do this all the time and you just didn't know it was disgusting. Here, here's what it sounds like. <laughs> Dude, that's the meanest thing you can say to someone. It's just, it's this faint, kind of barely, you can't even hear it. They couldn't even hear it on the live stream, but you heard all the curse words I said. I didn't, I didn't say any curse words, just for the record. Uh, that is actually being recorded, so I need to be careful. Uh, but you know, the kids, you know, they, they grumble under their voice to talk bad about each other. And James is warning, like, hey, in the church, or in this building right here, in Carpenter's Way, I'm going to bring it to our context. We should never find a moment where there's a whisper that the other side can't hear because we're grumbling against one another. It says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. He says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Any, any parents in here, you know that moment where it's super quiet in the house and it's like, oh, wait a second, it's too quiet. You know, that, you know that feeling? And so you kind of tiptoe. You don't want to like reveal that you're on your way. So you tiptoe to the room and you kind of lean in like, are they still alive? I don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're still in there. And then you, you grab the doorknob and real quietly open it, right? And then wham, you just bust in there. And the kids are like, what? What are you doing? Well, the judge is at the door. That's terrifying to your kids. They probably need therapy for all the times that we do that. And James says, don't grumble against one another because the judge is standing at the door. Jesus is well aware of our hearts, he's well aware of what we've established ourselves to do, and he wants us to live in a way, and he wants our religion to be in a way that it fortifies us against grumbling, and it promotes healthy relationships, even when there's reasons to be mad. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets. Think, think about some prophets. Maybe, maybe you guys think about some, some strong Christians you know that have suffered and were patient. It says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So these people, they'd read about Job and all the junk he went through, and they think, man, God bless him. He's such a godly guy. He had a terrible, terrible couple of weeks, though, didn't he? Job really had it, like, just slung on him really, really hard. But we celebrate him as this hero of faith. Why? Because he was patient. He was steadfast. You know who no one celebrates? Jonah. Jonah just walks around. He's mad. He's cursing plants. I'm not going to do what you say. He gets eaten by a whale. Nobody's like, I sure do want to get eaten by a fish one day. Nobody. Why? Because he wasn't patient. He wasn't steadfast. He, he says, think about the prophets and all the junk that they went through. 
You know why we celebrate them? It's because they were patient, they were steadfast. In, in chapter one, I'm just gonna to turn to it real quick. He says this about being steadfast. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You remember that? Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's that word again. The testing of our faith. It's when we face all the junk in life that we become steadfast. Not, not just sitting around and life is good. You wanna be terrible with money? Win the lottery today. You wanna to be great with money? Get a strong budget right now, and you know what? You'll probably be richer than someone who wins the lottery today. Like, the truth is, it's like it's in the trials and difficulties that we learn that we're steadfastness. And, and he finishes that phrase in chapter one, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You want to be the kind of Christian, and I know you do, that people look back on and find strength in your faith, strength in your steadfastness, strength in, in your ability to overcome amazing difficulties? Well, here's the answer. Be patient, be steadfast, and trust the Lord. The judge is at the door, James says. Verse 12, he says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. He, he's like, we need to simplify the way that we interact with each other. There was, at the time, uh, there were all these like fancy ways of like making an oath. I swear on the thousand fathers of my aunt Agnes. And they would just make stuff up. I made that up. I didn't even know how that sentence was going to end when I started it. And, and if it was a super like flamboyant, flowery uh, oath, someone would be like, oh man, he really meant that one. And then if you're like, yeah, I'll probably show up. He's like, it doesn't need to be so complicated. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, sometimes it doesn't work out. Now, I had somebody challenge me on this verse a few weeks ago because there was a men's uh, small group that met in the summer and I said I would be there. And week after week, a conflict came up, a different thing came up. It just, I never was free. And I'm so sorry to those in the men's group because I didn't let my yes be yes. And I never even actually publicly apologized. So just let it be known, all of you in the men's group, I, I didn't make a flowery oath, so that's good. But my yes was a no and I didn't make it. I apologize, which is, uh, leads us to our next point. James talks about admitting our sins to each other. I love, I love how this all fits together. You know, when, when I read James, uh, I'll keep going here just a moment, but when I read James, uh, it, it's difficult to read because it's all application without very much explanation. Paul is tons of explanation, so you kind of see the argument built up. But whenever you just take the application and try to apply it to your life and just maybe try it on like a shoe, uh, you start to see like, okay, I see how these things start to connect. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so you don't fall under condemnation. When, when you're dealing with each other, when you're dealing with each other in a family, just like be honest people, and, and you don't have to flower things up. Verse 13, what are some other ways we can establish our heart, James? Well, is anyone among you suffering? Is anybody suffering? Anybody go through suffering? What do we do, James? Let him pray. How do we establish our heart when we're suffering, James? Pray. So, so much of our suffering we bring to our friends and then we talk bad about the other guy and then they tell us like, oh, well, you should, you should just tell them exactly this. And we, we spend a lot. And then the last thing we do is pray. I'm just talking about my, maybe I'm the only one, but just general human tendencies. And James says, you know what, when you're suffering, when life has hit you and, and it, you've lost your breath for a second, maybe start with prayer. Because the scary thing that he said earlier is really good news for those of us. The judge is at the door. God is not far from us. Okay, anybody here uh, cheerful? He says, is anyone cheerful? Anybody cheerful? Anybody having a great day so far? 
What should we do? James says, here's how you establish your heart. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Yes. Yes, you have something to be celebrating for? Don't keep it quiet. I need to know that you're cheerful. When, when I have a terrible day and I go up to someone and they're having a great day, it's, it's probably toxic of me to be jealous of that. But more often than not, I'm, I look at someone having a great day. I'm like, how awesome. I'm like, yay. Awesome. You sing your praises. I'm going to sit over here and pray because I'm suffering. But, you know, we'll meet in the middle somewhere later on. Uh, man, praise God. We, I think a lot of times we rob each other when we're having a great day and we're just like, we just keep it to ourselves, right? It's good for us to hear that the Lord has blessed you and your family in a big, powerful way. You've been praying about this thing for 10 weeks now and you didn't know how it was going to come through and then boom, 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 it all lines up. Why would we keep that a secret? Sing, praise, shout it, please tell us. Send a pigeon. Is anyone among you sick? How do we establish our hearts if we're sick? He says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. We've, we've had some services like that here at church where I mean, you, get a, you, get a, you get a sick diagnosis, not, not just the flu, but like we're really sick and we're scared. We'll call the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. It is good for the body of the church to know I was there for that prayer. I'm joining you in that affliction. It says in verse 15, though, look at this. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. God will, will, what he's saying right there is that God will honor the prayer of the praying person, even if the sick person doesn't quite have the faith to understand what's going on. It says that, that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Like, as we do this, this person who is sick, who may not even have a system of faith, may, may not even be a follower of Jesus, they, they're healed? I want to know more about Jesus. Come on, man. Tell me more about this one that you serve, who, who led you to do that thing. Therefore, verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now we, I'll be honest with you, America does not do this. When is the last time you have walked into a room and someone came up to you and be like, listen, I, I have sinned against you and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? More often than not, we come with our excuses, we come with reasons why you misunderstood the thing, but how often do we just like own every bit of it and say, I'm so sorry. I broke your heart. I have, I'm sorry. Confess your sins, he says, to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I'm going to confess my sins to you so that I can be healed. And I, I, think, I think sometimes the, the Christian, the average American Christian, um, just carries around like some sickness of the heart for a long, 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 long time. Can't even let it go. I just want to be healed of this. And they're praying, I want to be healed of this sickness of the heart, this, this guilt or this shame or this constant anger. or this. Con I just want to be healed of this. Maybe we stop praying for our heart and we just start confessing. This is, this is, this is heavy. And then he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There's something about someone who has laid down all of their sins and just was honest with their community. And it says that the prayer of that person has a lot of power. 
Like God's a big fan of the prayer of the person who just laid it all out in a, in a public way. Um, real quick, uh, I had someone use that verse as a weapon against me, which is uh, funny uh, if you read it because it's all about the heart. How do you know what's going on? But there was a, a time, uh, my job in, in foster care was like, you know, helping families and building them and equipping them. But there's the downside of it. Like if you're not working out, Time for me to help you find your next thing and help you move out. And so this family wasn't working out. And uh, long story short, you know, we're having a really hard conversation. He's mad at me. The wife has, has gotten up and she yelled some things and she walked out. And I said, uh, I said man, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, can, I know that this is hard. Uh, can I, I, I just, maybe, maybe I can pray for you and uh, we can visit again later. And he looks at me, he stands up. Says, you can't pray for me. I'm like, what? Okay, I've never had anybody. Have you ever had that? Like, I want to pray for you. No. <laughs> like, this guy says, no, you can't pray for me. I said, well, why? He says, because the Bible, and he points at me, he wags his finger at me, and he quotes this verse. He says, scripture says the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Now, I know my righteousness level, but I don't know yours. And he got up and walked out. And I just wanted to ask him, like, what is your righteousness level, man? Like, are you like a level 14? I don't, I don't know what that means. The prayer of a righteous man, that guy. The prayer of a righteous person does, though, have great power as it is working. You got something heavy in your life? Why don't you draw close to someone who you think their life is perfect, and they tell you, like, no, it's just, I just trust the Lord, and uh, he's been kind, he's been gracious. Okay, great, that's awesome. Uh, I'm not feeling that right now. Will you pray for me? Because you just got the prayer of a righteous person, like, backing you up. You know what I mean? Like, you recruit some prayer warriors for you. Well, let's talk about prayer. He says in verse 17, Elijah, think about Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He wasn't special. He wasn't God. He was just Elijah. He was just some dude with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. Okay, stop raining. How long did it last? And for three years and six months, it did not rain. Could you imagine? Like, you're just like, man, I, just, I was looking forward for a slip and slide day, Elijah. And you're like, it's been three years, man. Help me out. Three years and six months, it didn't rain. Then in verse 18, he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. This dude, he said, I want it to stop raining. He prays and stops raining. He prays and starts raining. Prayer is effective. In closing, he says, verse 19, I always pay attention to the last thing these writers say. This is the last thing he writes in the book of James. We don't get James 2 like, to be continued. This is James. This is it. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, you know, you have any friends or loved ones, they were really close to the Lord, and they just kind of wandered away. You're just like, man, I want them back. I miss them. I miss, I miss that conversation. I miss that brotherhood, that sisterhood that we had. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. To be very clear, James isn't suggesting that we have the power to save people. What he's suggesting is that the prayers of a righteous person has amazing power. You got a friend, a loved one who's far from the Lord, used to be close and is far from the Lord, and you just you want them back. I, I would encourage you to follow James's recipe. Establish your heart. Don't, don't tell them where they're wrong. Don't tell them who they should vote for. Don't, don't do any of those things. Just establish your heart. If you're sick, ask for prayer. If you're, if you're grieving, if you're suffering, pray. If, you, if you're celebrating, then sing praises, but work on establishing your heart. 
confess your sins to another person and say, I'm working on this, I just, I just need a little help. And you, you as an individual will have healing. You have somebody in your midst who comes to you and is like, I'm sick, please pray for me. Then you get to participate with that. But you work on establishing your heart and you pray for that person. And then, I believe, those who are far from the Lord will be drawn close to you. You'll be attractive to them. Maybe it's an invitation to church. Maybe, maybe, maybe it, it, I, my point is it's not as complicated as we've made it as a church. You don't have to go like know every piece of theology to win back the heart of someone who's walked away from the Lord. You just have to care about them and really pray for them. You don't have to tell them that you're praying for them. You know, sometimes we tell people that we're praying for them because we're, you know, like, hey, I'm just, I'm just praying you stop sinning so much. And I'm praying you got a, you know, drinking problem. I'm praying you stop smoking. I'm praying you stop being mean to me. Yeah, yeah, they didn't need to hear any of that. Maybe we just trust that uh, real prayer has real power because God is really there. And the judge is at the door. Just let him handle it. And then in that attractive nature, after you've established your heart and you have that conversation with that loved one who's far from God, you, you get to celebrate. They came back. They were wandering off towards death. They were chasing death full steam ahead. And you got to see them turn back to the Savior who gives life. Man, that would be good. You know what our community really needs? Our community doesn't need a, I mean, we can have more churches, it's not that, but almost nobody in this community needs to hear the gospel for the first time. Like, they, everybody knows it. Those who are far from God can, can tell us more about Jesus than some of us in this room. And, and yet, why are they far from God? Because, uh, who knows? They, they, choose, they choose their life. They don't need new truth, is what I'm trying to say. What they need is warriors like ourselves, who are like, I'm, I am... I'm praying for, I'm picking one. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick one. I'm just bring him to the throne. Every day, I'm going to bring him to the throne. And when I got sin in my heart, I'm going to take that to some other folks that I trust, that are my, my community group maybe or something. I'm going, to, I'm going to lay down that sin, and I'm going to trust that God's healing me, but I'm just, every, every chance I get, I'm going to pray for Sally. I'm going to pray for my mom. I'm going to pray for these people because, because that kind of prayer, super powerful. According to James, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Verse 16. Uh, I, I love you guys. I'm so glad we finished James. That is, man, I'm, maybe we'll restart James next week. I don't know. It was good. It was really good. Let me pray for you. And then, uh, do we have a cue? I think so, yeah. So I'm going to pray. Uh, and I just ask you, uh, if nothing else, like, hey, yay, we went to church. Uh, I would ask you, like, okay, something, maybe earlier in previous weeks of James, there's a task. There's a thing that was like, I really want to do that. I really, I, I need to put some rubber on the ground. The way James would wear that is establish your heart. I, I would just encourage you, like, pick a thing, whatever the thing is, maybe it was something in the message today or previous weeks, and start practicing it to establish your heart towards the Lord. And when you do, you'll be more fortified for what the world will throw at us. Let me pray. Father, uh, this morning, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for its simplicity and the, the practical nature, we thank you, God, that, that James um, was inspired to write what he did, and we see so much uh, application for it uh, in our lives. 
I pray, Father, for Carpenter's Way, that as a, as a people, God, that we would be uh, peaceable as, uh, as marriages, Father, that we would be whole and strong as families and units, God, that we would be um, just looking out for each other and uh, praying for one another. God, as, as a community, when we move out into our workplaces, God, that we would we'd be sensitive to what your spirit is leading us to, and God, we would pray, we would pray fervently. We would pray uh, for you to restore God, I, I pray that we would see just amazing restoration uh, in our community and our workplace. And Father, um, we'll, we'll give you all the praise. We, we, we give you praise now because we know that you're capable and we've seen, we've seen so much of it. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.